I'm Siham Cyrene, and you are here for Better Conversations. I am all about digital. It's, it's what I do for a living. But I also, on a human level, on a business level, really believe that the art of conversation is getting lost, as well as people's ability to get things done. So you've got this this culture of Slack, of email, of WhatsApp, of text, live chat, all of it really enables instant conversations and that you can get the answer that you need right away uh, much more efficiently. A lot of that is true, but too many times it's also the lazy person's way out. And what you lose is the ability to create a, a real connection and a relationship with someone that has numerous other soft benefits uh, versus just somebody giving you what you need at that particular moment in time. And you lose the ability to read people and understand the nuance and back to how necessary that is um, in as you progress through your career. If you don't have that, you're, you are on the back foot. While we're gifted with speech, conversations, really good conversations don't happen as much as we'd like. In this podcast, my guest and I deep dive into all the corners of what makes a conversation awkward and uncomfortable or warming and memorable. is Gabrielle Hayes. She's the CEO of Solberry Advisory. Love that name. Based in London and her depth of experience in all things e-commerce, mobile and direct marketing, as well as strategic branding and how to increase a brand's market share is what her clients hire her for. Gabrielle also serves on a number of well-known retail boards as a non-executive director. She has an insatiable curiosity about people and their motivations and choices. And she's often the one to ask the tough questions or the seemingly stupid, silly questions that actually no one knows the answer to. These are qualities you want in an advisor and a non-exec director, right? Otherwise, why hire them? Hello, Gabrielle. Really lovely to have you here. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. So, Gabrielle, do you want to do a, a quick introduction? Sure. As you can probably tell from my accent, I do not, I'm not native to the UK. Um, I grew up in the States and have been here for about 13 years. And since I've been here, I've worked with a variety of retailers and brands on helping them launch and grow their online, their e-commerce business, their digital business. And, and it's, while it started out as e-commerce, it's now much more about how digital influences the user behavior, the customer behavior across every touch point um, that a brand has with with its customer. So we see that um, digital really influences offline purchase and likewise, as well as um, thinking about chat, your chat interactions online, your customer service interactions over the phone. All of that combines to be a holistic user experience. And that's what I help businesses uh, better understand and, and drive the business model. Great. Okay. So who is it that you have to influence or who, who are your stakeholders day to day? Well, I tend to work with um, brands and retailers uh, that you may have heard of, such as um, Sweaty Betty, uh, Tiki Max, Moonpig, uh, and more recently, brands like L.K. Bennett, um, Sophie Hume, Nomo. Uh, I work with Tate Galleries and, and people like Fennec and, and Harvey Nichols. And within each of those businesses, the the stakeholders are different, the people who you need to influence are different. But typically, as is the case with anybody who does more project work or consultancy slash advisory, you've got to really understand very quickly sort of where the power lies, where the influence is, and what you need to do to achieve uh, significant results in a short period of time. And the so while it's different in each place um, where that influence lies or, or who those um, stakeholders, shareholders are. Typically, um, if you're in on an interim project where I've been, where you're in to run um, a trading team, it'll be your team itself, uh, the, the people who are reporting into you. Um, clearly, you've got influence 
there and you've got to um, engage them on a, on a daily basis. Otherwise, uh, my typical um, stakeholders will be the board of directors, the senior exec team, um, and certainly the sponsor who who's brought me in. Right. Okay. And so how do you have in the example of, say, um, joining a board, how do you get yourself into that zone of understanding what the dynamics are um, on the board? So are you referring to the work I do as a non-executive director on a board or as um, an advisor consultant who is engaged by a board? Well, let's go with the um, non-exec director role. Okay. So when thinking about that, how do you, how do you assess how to interact? Yeah. So, you know, you're joining a board, you've been invited on and um, how do you work out what the dynamics are between individuals on the board and um, how do you sort of embed yourself in uh, that world? Well, that's, that I think is one of the trickiest things to do because when you join, unless unless the whole board starts out at the same time, which they very rarely do, um, sometimes that happens, but but rarely, you're coming into sort of a club, uh, and that club has its own dynamic, and you're the new person around the table, and it is it's daunting. Um, it can be intimidating. It's also really interesting because you've got. You've got to figure out um, what that dynamic is. And so much of it is about what's unsaid as well as what's said. And you see who takes the lead, who who tends to pipe in at different times on particular subjects, who doesn't say much. Uh, but then you step back and say, you look at what all of each of the people around the, the board table, what's their interaction outside of the board meeting? And you can get a good sense of that um, because you'll talk to the exact team and they'll say, as well as to the chair and, and you understand who might be more connected to the business and who might not be able to spend as much time with the business. Um, also, who has previous history uh, of working together. So some people bring people onto the board who they've worked with before. And all of those, I, I mean, I'll call them power dynamics, but it's not its not quite so Machiavellian, but it is just about understanding sort of the context within which people make contributions and as well as their expertise and why they were brought onto the board. And then there's always the, well, they were brought onto the board for this reason, but actually they, they influence quite a bit in these other areas. It is, it is really, it's tricky and challenging, but in a really, I think in a really interesting way, I love, I love to try to get to the bottom of those dynamics. And how do you, do you do a lot of observation initially? Do you, do you get into sort of question mode and, and get curious with them? What do you do? I mean, there, there is a lot of observation, again, to see who takes the lead. What's the, what is the dynamic of the meeting? Where might there be some tensions or what are sort of the, the no-go areas? What are the areas that are, um, up for discussion, as well as what are the ones that, that there's, everybody is really rallying behind and everyone's on the same page. So part of it is, is really reading the room, which um, certainly wasn't easy when I first started out and I have gotten better at it. I still don't, you know, there's still a lot I, I don't know. Um, but, and then it's about asking judicious questions. Because what you don't want to do is just start asking a ton of questions. And I'm naturally incredibly inquisitive. So that's a very, very hard thing for me to do is to take a few times to step back. You also want to, you want to naturally impress people and say, okay, there's a reason you invited me to join you. And I'm here to add, add an immense amount of value in a very short period of time. And that's not, that's really much more in, in people's heads than, than it is, um, I think, the fact of, what they want from you. Nobody expects you to come in all singing, all dancing at your very first board meeting. And in fact, if you do, you look kind of idiotic. So that I always keep in the back of, of my, my mind. And I, I've talked to people on boards who have, who are seasoned, seasoned non-execs um, and chair, chair people. And that's what they say. And so I take their advice. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot that you're you're coming into a, a group um, that has an existing dynamic and um, trying to make figure out how you can be best supportive um, of that dynamic and the contribution you can make. But also, I think you pointed out 
um, you know, I want to prove that I was the best hire, right? That um, that you brought me on for a reason and I'm adding value. It's a really difficult thing to sort of tamp down in yourself. I have found it for myself. Other people, I'm sure, don't have nearly the issue with it that, that I do. But, but you do. You want to kind of prove your worth. You can prove your worth, but that happens over time. It's not going to happen in the very first the very first get together. I, I think actually that's something many of us um, struggle with that, um, you know, wanting to to prove that we were, we're the right person to have joined. Um, and we do have those internal voices um, that <laughs> where we're being self-critical and uh, judging ourselves before maybe, and but to your point is, you know, other people aren't necessarily judging you in that way at all. So it's okay to relax a little bit on that. But then you have that with the dynamic that come into play that are gender dynamics. So it's the the female way of conversing, the male way of conversing. And obviously, it's not that cut and dried. It's not that simplistic to say that all females interact in one way and all males in another. But there are, you know, there, there are certain undeniable truths about about how women and men interact. And um, as far as in, in uh, meetings, and you'd know the research better than I do, but but I know that that um, I mean, I've read enough of enough of studies and and um, you know popular culture distillations to to say that uh, women uh, are less aggressive or tend to be and, and are more watchful, understand nuance a little bit better because they're taking time. But then it's it can be a challenge to make yourself heard on uh, during the times that you do want to be heard, and you sometimes have to adopt a more uh, an aggressive tone just to just to get your two cents in. And so that's that can be interesting to navigate as well. I think what you're saying is really valid and it is about finding your voice and uh, sometimes conversations can move fast and the exchanges are quite fast and so it's finding that opportunity to figure out okay I know exactly what I need to um, say here or how I want to contribute and doing it with enough authority um, that it's heard. Is that something that you've experienced? It is because there's also the bit that says, well, hang on, maybe I don't have all the figures. I don't have all the facts. I don't know everything. And maybe it's something I missed and I shouldn't bring it up. But I've kind of gotten over that over time. Um, and it's taken time. But I, I know, I'm not going to say I know just as much as everybody else in the room. I won't say that. But I will say I'm just as prepared as anybody else in the room. So any question is, is uh, a good one, I think. And there are a lot of times I've asked what I think is a stupid, silly question. And actually nobody in, in the room knows the answer. And those are always scary questions to ask because you risk looking like an idiot, but but actually nobody else knows. And so I always feel a little bit good about that when, when yeah. the risk to ask it. And again, some of it is just age because you kind of think, you know, uh, what's the worst that, that's going to happen? Is somebody really going to turn around and say, God, you're an idiot? No, they're not. Um, and it, that's really about your internal voice. But the other the other thing I've found is is useful um, if you've got good chair people who are um, who do know how to read the room who are about making sure that every voice is heard. It's about working with them, letting them know you have something to say, and then giving them the you know the authority to manage the contributions as they see fit. And and that has worked well because that's about just a mutual respect thing. It's also about saying I'm not going to hog the floor on my 18th point of the hour but more about, I do want the space to, to express myself on this. And then sometimes you just have to talk over people. You just have to just do it if, um, if that's the only thing that's gonna, going to get your voice out there. And I think uh, having a way of coming, overcoming that concern about, you know, how is what I'm going to say going to land um, you have to get over that, I think, especially in your role as an NED. You are there to ask those questions. And it's it's almost part of the due diligence, is it not, of, of and the role that you play uh, in being there. It is. It, it definitely is. Uh, I'm as much on the line as anybody else around the table from a governance perspective, from um, a reputational perspective. And I can't just assume that it's been taken care of or that somebody else knows more than I do and they've got it dealt with. I really have to cover it all off for myself. And and that's what being a good board member is about. Um, certainly not the only thing, but it is it is um, part and parcel of it. And 
And so you do have to dig into some things and bring them up. But again, I also think that's about having a good relationship with the chairperson and really raising these things uh, maybe before the meeting. And then they, they have heard you and they know what's appropriate to bring up and what isn't. Not that something isn't appropriate to bring up, but that it might be better suited addressed um, outside of the formal board meeting. And, and so that's, that's how that goes. And again, that's, that's what makes a chairperson really good versus not so good is how they manage all of that. Yeah, completely. And it's the, you're talking to, you're talking about the relationship. You're talking about the uh, nuance in the answers. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, learning to read what's said and what's not being said. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm picturing myself around the table. I, I sit on a couple of different boards and one of them is, is a large board. And then uh, another one is really small. And it is really um, just a down to looking around the room. I mean, don't just look at the one person right across from you, but seeing how people interact with each other, even when, when someone's talking, if you see glances that are exchanged or heads that nod or just body language that might show that actually something isn't, isn't appropriate or not appropriate, but isn't um, what someone wants to hear. It's not that hard to pick up. I mean, people are really crap at hiding their their feelings. Um, <laughs> and that I say that because I am the worst at it. I am absolutely the worst. And 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 actually, the, the worst part is that I have an expression on my face when I'm listening or when I'm when I am uh, concentrating that really looks crappy. I mean, it, people look at me and they're like, "What is wrong? What, what did I just say that has you so pissed off?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Are you pissed off and they said but you should see the look on your face and it, they're right I I, it, I really really have to manage what the heck my I have a definite bitchy resting face I think and so I've got to, I've got to <laughs> manage that because it sends the wrong signals and it, and it's um and it's not it's not great so the flip side of that is it's not that that hard to read other people or think you're reading them they, they may be you may be reading something into it that isn't there but it's not, it just, it doesn't, you don't have to be a master sleuth to kind of get if somebody's is happy to talk about something or not so happy to talk about something. Um, and that's where you just kind of make a mental note. Oh, maybe I'm going to pick up on that later. Maybe I'll pick up on that outside the meeting and see, is there a backstory? Is there something I should be aware of? Is there something I can help out with? Or is it something that, that is actually, it's personal and has nothing to do with business. Um, so it's, it's just about, just just watching and seeing how people interact with each other and how they react to what's been said. I find that fascinating. Um, the The body language is definitely a, a big indicator and a clue, right? So there's lots to be gained, you know, is there something else going on? I like your advice about, you know, checking in with someone afterwards, um, you know, maybe the, and, and making the judgment as to whether, okay, I could probe here in the meeting, but um, there may be something else going on. It may be more sensitive to follow up afterwards um, and find out what's going on. And, um, but your point about the, the expressions that we have on our faces, I think that, <laughs> I think that is really fascinating because I know I've been in situations where someone has a quizzical look on their face and it can throw you. It can really, <laughs> it can throw you in terms of, am I talking complete rubbish? And, and they are, you know, they, or they're in disagreement with what I'm saying. And so th there is a knack to finding a way to overcome that and, and maybe, you know, stop and ask a question. Is there, does that sound right? Is there a, you know, a contradictory thought or idea? So rather than, than be completely flummoxed and thrown by it, what do you think? It is tough. And, um, and I, I, I wish I could say that I've solved it for on, on, on my own, you know, my own actions, my own face. And I'm just much more aware of it now about keeping sort of a, uh, not expressionless. I mean, it, it's really good to give feedback and to, and to encourage people that, to say that, yes, I am listening. I, I hear what you say. And yes, let's, I'm following that. That's, um, as a person who, looks for that in an audience. It's also good as an audience member to give that, that kind of, okay, let's keep going here. But it is very hard to have that self-awareness to say, okay, am I, am I sending the right signals here? 
as well as when you are talking and you're reading other people's faces and may have a question. I find that it's always, it's easy, depending on the size of the room, but to say, to be talking and then say, I don't know, John, you look like you think I'm, I'm full of it. Is that, am I full of it? Am I going off track here? You know, if you kind of make a joke of it or you call them on it and, and either lighten it up a little bit, or that gives them the floor then to say, yeah, actually you are full of it. And here's why. That's never a bad thing. I don't think. Um, if you just try to keep it humorous or something like that. However, you can't just stop every single person and, and say, am I okay here? Am I, cause it looks like you don't have any confidence in what you're saying. So that mm. takes some, some practice. And, uh, I wish there was a, an easy answer. And, you know, there are professionals who teach you how to do this stuff. And, um, and I think it's always worth investing in one or two sessions of, of, even if it's about body language or it's about understanding the physical presence you take up in, in a, in a room and around a table and, and what, what that's going to be saying. There's a, a guy um, who I, I serve on a board with, and he is brilliant at picking up on body language cues. He's really funny. And he's called me on it a couple of times and it, and it definitely throws you, but in a, in a good way. So he, he and I'll be talking about something and, and I'll disagree with him about something. And I cross, uh, you know, I fold my arms in front of me, which is just a classic pose of, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not liking this. And he's really good because he says, it's clear from your body language, you do not agree with me. So what's that about? And, and he's right. You can't even deny it. So I'm like, oh, okay. and so, so he gets you to talk about it and it's, and it's good. Um, and it's, it's not an aggressive challenging. He, he's just, he's hyper aware. And, and I think that's, that's really good. And it is embarrassing too, when, when they call you on it and you think, uh, yep, now I've got to stand behind my my uh, passive aggressive movements. Uh, but then there are other times when I don't mind what my face says, because it is expressing whether it's an inward doubt or it's something that I just don't agree with. And I'm happy to be vocal about it, but I'm not going to, there's, it's not appropriate to just stand up and be vocal about it all the time. But that, that is also feedback that you're giving, um, giving to the, the person who's speaking. Mm. What's clever about actually asking, you know, what, you know, I noticed your arms across to your body language telling me you disagree is if we do disagree, we do tend to withdraw from the conversation. Um, we tend to sort of, we do cross our arms, we sit back in the seat and we, we become sometimes a little bit judgmental about what we're hearing. But by someone actually um, calling you on it, they're inviting you back into the conversation. They are. You're right. It's smart and it's mature. And it's, uh, and I, and I, I do, I, even though I don't always like when he does it, I absolutely respect it. And it's the right thing to do. Well, well, we've talked a lot about body language, which is always fascinating, but um, I'm curious as to what a good conversation, what do you like about the conversations that you have in your work? I enjoy conversations that are two way and and by that, I mean, there are two kinds of conversations. One is where there is question, answer, question, answer, uh, you know, back and forth. It's a volley. It's a tennis game. And, it, and, and you pick up on what you've heard and you feed it back and you add another question onto that or, or you dig in a little bit deeper, et cetera, et cetera. Versus two people talking ostensibly to each other, but really just to themselves and saying something, but it, it's just very disconnected to what you're hearing. And you think it's a conversation, but actually there's no pickup on what's been said. It's really somebody talks and then takes a breath and lets you say something. And then they pick up where they left off to say what they want to say and then take a breath. So you say something and it, it's <laughs> you yeah. know what, I'm, what I'm describing. I'm yeah. doing a poor job of describing it, but I really, one of my biggest, biggest pet peeves is people who really like to hear themselves talk and you can, you know it when you're in it, people don't come up for air. They don't even read your body language that increasingly says, uh, I'm, I need, I need some relief here. Um, and I find that really challenging and frustrating. So the conversations that I do enjoy are ones that are a little bit more measured and, and, um, measured, but I mean, that are truly, truly back and forth conversations and where 
where the person you're with um, is interested in hearing what you have to say and you're interested in hearing what they have to say. Um, not, not every conversation obviously can be, can be like that, but I also think chemistry plays a part in it. Um, whether you have chemistry with the person, however, whatever that chemistry looks like, but where you really, you enjoy, you enjoy talking to them, even if you don't agree with them, you, you find the conversation engaging and lightning and it has a nice cadence to it. And, um, you don't regret the time spent. Yeah, you don't regret the time spent. I think that's a lovely way of putting it. Um, because sometimes we are with people who are just broadcasting and they're not receiving. And you get the sense that you're being talked at. I think the way you described it is, you know, they're like the sound of their own voice so they want to hear themselves talk. Um, uh, yeah, it just feels like I've got nothing to invest. Why am I, am I just here so that you've got an audience or are you interested in anything I have to say or, or respect me even as an individual, right? To, to as someone who can contribute to this conversation. First of all, I network a lot. And so I have a lot of conversations that are, are with people who, um, I don't know that well, or, we may not be personal friends, but we are, you know, we know each other professionally. And, and so maybe my data points are different to some other people who aren't self-employed or, or who have a more regular cast of characters to surround themselves with. But I find that when I say the majority, I mean more than 50%, I don't mean 90%, but a lot of my conversations tend to be that way. And I, and I find it very frustrating. So, so maybe it's something I'm doing and maybe, maybe I need to really moderate how I am in a conversation to look at that. I don't know. But I also think, again, if you find, for me, I think I can determine whether I have chemistry with somebody pretty quickly or not. And if I do, then I'm immediately interested to sort of learn much more about them and uh, where they come from, what they're doing, how they, how they arrived, where they are, what their, what their perspective is. If it's not there, I can find it pretty difficult to, to feign interest. And so I, I do have to work on that because that, that is then about respect and, um, you know, respecting other people's time to be with you. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It's the, it's almost that instant sense, or maybe, I don't know, you tell me, just taking a guess at what you're talking about when you're talking about chemistry, is it an instant sort of sense of trust, um, interest in one another you know there are some things that we can't that feel quite intangible or hard to describe that mean you know you can connect with people um I had the sensation yesterday of meeting um a woman works in my space and you know sometimes meeting people in your own industry you know that they're potentially your competitors we had this very she had a very easy way about her very easy conversation and there was just a dynamic and just made it really easy and it was more about you know being there and exploring what we were there to explore than than a sense of you know you're in my turf or you're my competition and um that's quite unique. And I think it does come down to, I can't take credit for, you know, for all of that. I can certainly be receptive to and inviting to other people, you know, being in my space. But I think it takes the same on the other person's part, a willingness to be in that space with you and not just to tell you what they do, but to have a real exchange that maybe has nothing to do with your work, but just a human exchange. Yeah. No, it, it, it's true. And again, uh, in working as you do and have done, and as I do, when you work for yourself, you there, there is a fine line between really wanting to compete with someone to get a, a plum assignment or an interesting an interesting client, but then also knowing that if you don't have a network of people who are out there who think of you and who respect you and who may compete with you, but who may be busy. Uh, doing something and therefore can recommend you for something, then you're then you're not going to get very far. And so you really do need to cultivate those things. And frankly, I really like knowing about the people who do what I do. A, it keeps me on my toes. B, there's definitely a sense of competitiveness. But also, C, we're never busy at the same time. And so I recommend them and then they hear that I recommended them and they feel, okay, she's not out to, you know, it's a way that we can coexist in the space. And then they recommend me if and when appropriate. And that's just a nice symbiotic way to be. And, and frankly, that's, that's how I prefer to be rather than trying to 
to be any other way. And, and I'm sure I've, I've lost some things because of that, but I also think I've, I've gained some things because of that. And so it's just more fun. I mean, life is too short. Mm. No, I agree with you. Your perspective on conversations, you said um, previously that you feel like not enough of them happen, the right kind of conversations uh, and that too much of it may be online. Yes. I really, really believe this. And I'm, I know I'm not alone in, in, um, in feeling this way. And there's a, there is a temptation to classify it as being old school versus new school. But I, I, don't, I don't buy that because I, I don't think just because of my age, I'm old school. I think that really it's about how much you enjoy and embrace uh, a digital way of doing things versus not. I am all about digital. It's, it's what I do for a living. But I also, on a human level, on a business level, really believe that the art of conversation is getting lost as well as people's ability to get things done. So you've got this this culture of Slack, of email, of WhatsApp, of text, live chat, all of it really enables instant conversations and that you can get the answer that you need right away uh, much more efficiently. A lot of that is true. But too many times, it's also the lazy person's way out. And by that, I mean, I've been in businesses where it's on two different floors. People email each other all the time and never, ever get up away from their desk, go up to the second floor, look that person in the eye and say, hey, here's my question. What do you think about this? Uh, Do you have this for me? Oh, that's great. And I can give this to you. I mean, it's shocking, absolutely shocking how lazy people can get um, by that. And what you lose is the ability to create a a real connection and a relationship with someone that has numerous other soft benefits uh, versus just somebody giving you what you need at that particular moment in time. And you lose the ability to read people and understand the nuance. And back to how necessary that is um, in as you progress through your career, if you don't have that, you're you are on the back foot. And so it does drive me crazy when people um, don't just pick up the phone. It's like people don't remember how the phone works <laughs> when you are in the same building and it's just too damn hard to get up and, and take the steps to go talk to someone. I mean, are you kidding me? And, and that um, I've had to tell numerous teams, you did not just email that to that person, did you? And they say, yeah, I emailed. I'm just waiting for them to get back to me. And I said, go find them, go stand in front of them and talk to them and say, when can you get that from? I mean, really? And then I also find in sales, you know, cold calling is, is A, it's a fact of life. B, it's bloody difficult. I've done it. It's just, it's never pleasant. And I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and thinks, I can't wait to make 25 phone call, you know, phone calls today or sorry, you know, do a cold call. And they just do a whole bunch of emails and then another whole bunch of emails and then a third bunch of emails. And you say, have you picked up the phone to call them? Well, no, because they haven't gotten back to me. And you think, are you kidding me? Honestly, pick up the phone or better yet, go and show up at their office. I mean, talk about old school, but it's effective and it works. And it's nothing can be, nothing can replace that kind of live dynamic interaction. And that is why in in my line of work in e-commerce, there will always be a role for um, a store on the high street for a physical presence because nothing, nothing, nothing replaces um, the actual face-to-face interaction with a human being. And there are lots of times when it's um, a highly considered purchase or you really have questions that can't be answered via a chat bot, via um, somebody even on the other end of the phone, but really in person, those things can't, they can't be replaced. And it will always be that way. There will always be those conversations that have to happen face to face and that people are willing to invest in making happen for the right thing. And that's, and, and thankfully for that, because that's what's going to save retail is, is making sure that we preserve those, the ability to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really hot topic and one that a lot of companies struggle with. Um, You know, it becomes part of the culture that you just don't have those face-to-face interactions and yet they are so rich in information. And, uh, you know, talk about reading body language. Um, The many people I talk to pay no attention to body language and, and are not absorbing that 
really critical data and therefore it's devalued. It's not seen as something that um, that you need and it's much, much easier and less, I wouldn't say threatening because face-to-face isn't threatening, but it keeps interactions to a minimum and we can control, especially if you know, we don't have a depth of, of a relationship or trust with the other person. Now, so I feel like our tendency is to move away from rather than lean into getting to know someone. Um, and so, yeah, I think lazy is, is a good word. <laughs> and, you know, some cultures, if, if you can't do that face to face and you are relying on, um, you know, online collaboration tools to get your message across, then you're in trouble when, you know, things are not going great. I agree. And I think they have a place. I really do. But it has to be tempered. It has to be moderated. It has to be managed so that it doesn't subsume everything and come at the at the cost of any meaningful conversation. Um, I was, my husband does, he works remotely uh, a lot of the time and he has teams in Australia, in um, the US, in on the continent. And so he does a, a lot of of work that way, but there are, he, he got a, an email, the other, sorry, a, um, a message the other day. I don't know the nature of what it was, except that it was something that would have taken over the phone or even over Skype, it would have taken 10 minutes to resolve. And yet because it was done over Slack or over, um, it, yeah, I think it was over Slack. It just became so much more complicated. And it, it he finally picked up the phone and said, can we not just talk about this? <laughs> like, oh, uh, well, yes, of course we can. And you think, why was this not the, the way to start out? And that is why distributed working, in a lot of ways, again, it can work, but there always has to be a mechanism in place to get everybody together at a certain point in time, more than once a year, but to to allow for spontaneous knowledge sharing, spontaneous uh, relationship management to happen. And it's, um, it, it is a cost of doing business and it's got to happen. I, I'm not a huge fan of massively remote working. Um, in, in my line of work, I, there, are certain, there are certain sectors where it's, it makes perfect sense. But I, I really um, think that it's fine to work from home uh, on and have flexibility in your working schedule, but that there always needs to be an amount of time when the team is all together, that they are um, working with each other and it's outside of a meeting construct and it's just sort of serendipitous, but it's only serendipitous if if you're in the same place at the same time. Mm. Important to understand the limitations of those platforms. Um, they, they serve a purpose, they do a job, but uh, you can't replace the you know, picking up the phone or walking up to someone completely. No, you can't. I don't know, not to belabor the point, but is it that people are, to, you, you said a perceived uh, threat, you know, that, that is it that people believe sometimes that face-to-face is confrontational? I mean, is that really what we think of as face-to-face? And they don't want to be confrontational and everybody can hide behind a digital means of communication. I mean, are we, are we now just a, a nation of complete babies who can't have a, a proper conversation? I have no scientific evidence. I'm going off the back of what I see, right, <laughs> in my work and what people are struggling with and the ability to be able to articulate what it is that you need from somebody is incredibly loaded with um some unhelpful emotions, let's put it that way. Um, There's a sense of, let's take the example of delegating a task, for example. I have, um, some, some people feel guilty about delegating something that to a member of their team who they know is um, working long hours and is already doing a lot. Um, uh, Or they may have had a conversation around, you know, that's your image, you need to focus on that, but then something else comes along and and they're the best person to do it. Um, Some people feel guilty about passing that on. Um, And so you can see how making that request via a platform makes it less confrontational in that sense. 
or I just, I have to make an ask, but it's much easier. I find it easier to write it than to speak it to you. Can you please do X by such and such time? Um, right. Um, sometimes can feel like, especially if you, you can imagine in a situation where maybe you don't have a great relationship with them. I think what we're doing is we are using these platforms as a, a, an intervention when the intervention really should be about getting to know that person better and investing time in getting to know them better. Because the more you know them, the more you trust each other, the harder it is to actually have an argument <laughs> or disagree, right? You, you are. It's a really good point. I, I completely agree with you. Um, I'm not, not, not to, to cut you off, but I'm, I agree wholeheartedly. And it's, it reminds me of um, someone who's, who's, de facto rule is, all right, let's get down to the pub. Let's go out for a drink. Let's go walk around the block. Let's do that. And it's, it's a, no one does that anymore. No, no one solves a problem in that way. I feel like they don't. And it's, uh, it, it really uh, needs to, to happen. We have to find a way back to that for the reasons you just, you just outlined. Mm. Well, if your culture is not in a good place um, and your relationship isn't in a good place, don't expect those platforms to help. <laughs> they, they don't. They really don't. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. Better conversations. We all want to have them at work. Have you ever felt dread about an upcoming chat with a colleague you needed to have or had that sinking feeling when that meeting didn't go as well as you hoped. When we can provide a safe space in conversation, the other person feels able to open up without fear. As leaders, part of helping our team do their job effectively is to motivate and guide our people to deliver on their goals. And when we have successful conversations, we become more influential encourage deeper collaborations and foster true connection at work. Did you know it's the number one skill that sets the top leaders apart from the rest? That's why we've created a 12-week online course hosted by executive coach Seherm Cyrene, helping you to navigate those tough conversations with skill and compassion. Enroll today at leaderswhocoach.today. So, in terms of your conversation style, is there someone who has influenced you or, or is there a style that, that inspires you? <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking that I've been accused of being very, very direct or uh, not shoot from the hip, but just I don't. Uh, there's a British way of having a conversation and then there's an American way of having a conversation. And I think I'm somewhere more on the American side than I am the British side. Um, and it's, it's just that we kind of say what we think. Uh, not always. I, I mean, that's, there are lots of times when I don't say nearly what I think, I, but nor should I. I mean, uh, what you think doesn't always need to be heard. Right. Um, but I, as far as, as is there one person or there isn't. Uh, I, I learn from a lot of people and it's more, there are certain kinds of communication that I, I look at with awe and I think, gosh, I want to be like that, or I'm interested in how they do that. And I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. It's people who speak softly. So I don't, as you can tell, I speak loudly. I, I, I hate when people speak softly because I just can't hear them. Um, certainly I'm sure my, my hearing is, is going, uh, and that's why. <laughs> so yeah. I, I just, uh, people who speak softly, or you could also say who, who don't have much intonation or who don't have much emotion in their voice, whether on purpose or not, the effect it has, depending on who they are around the room is people then they shut up and they lean in to, to hear what the other person has to say. And that is a really powerful thing to be able to do in a room. And I've seen it happen. And I look at that person who speaks softly and or does not intone. And I think you're really onto something there because the power dynamic has just completely shifted. And you have people in a, in a way that they are listening to what you have to say on your terms. 
instead of having to use your volume or use a, a blunt turn of phrase to get to get attention. And I don't think I'll ever be that kind of person, but I can learn a lot from watching how they do that. And there is, there's something to that. I don't know exactly how to appropriate it for myself, but I think it is quite skillful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are some people that don't say very much, but when they do speak, people listen and um, they very often don't have much of an ego. And I'm not saying that anyone who speaks, you know, um, differently does have an ego, but um, that's the pattern that I've noticed is individuals who don't need to say very much, but when they do feel strongly about something and do speak, um, it's, it's very much because the topic warrants it. And it's so it's less about them and more about the need to, you know, surface something that's relevant. And and yeah, they do. Uh, you know, um, one of my guests, in fact, who's quite, uh, who describes himself as a deep introvert, doesn't say very much, very softly spoken. Um, and, um, but and doesn't feel the need to do it. He's aware of the impact that it has, and but he doesn't do it to control. He does it because that's what he's most comfortable doing is only speaking when necessary um, and, and creating space for other people to talk. That's his style. Yeah, and also I, I think this thing about lowering your voice, um, <laughs> certainly, you know, with... with um, in a classroom situation, um, teachers who can do that have much better control over the classroom um, because they don't raise their voice to get control. They drop their voice to get control. And for the very reason that, okay, you've just said something, I need to hear that uh, clearly. So it is, it's a fascinating technique. It's very counterintuitive. And so I think it takes skill to deploy unless it is something that is really natural to you, like it is to your friend. Yeah. It's just an intrinsic part of who they are. I don't think they're trying to be that way or not trying to, to you know, impress their authority on a room. But um, I, I know what you mean when, when people do do that. It is quite powerful. So there's lots of ways, aren't there, of, of putting your point across. There are. There are. Who do you admire? Oh, I, um, I admire that. And I also admire... Um, people who can, who have a really strong voice and don't apologize for having that strong voice and feel very comfortable voicing what they have to say. There is a distinction there, I think, and, and you pointed to it earlier. You know, anyone who's got an ego and, and is talking because they like the sound of their own voice isn't the kind of person I'm talking about, but the kind of person that has the confidence in what they're saying and can articulate it really clearly and, um, you know, people do listen to because they have that authority in, in both what they're saying, but also their tone, their body language and everything, that kind of thing all comes together. Um, so I, I find, you know, the whole spectrum of different styles of being able to command a room, command a space, fascinating. And when you come across people doing it in very different ways, it's always quite inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. So, um, Gabrielle, what is your worst habit in a conversation? My worst habit, definitely, and which is one that I deplore in others, um, the hypocrite that I am, is when I interrupt people. Uh, I can get very, it, it's, it's as a result of two things. One is I'm very excited by what I hear and I want to, I want to get in there and, and express that I'm completely excited about it. And, and have you thought about this? And maybe you can go over here with that. And, um, it just sparks a whole bunch of different ideas and things that I want to get out as quickly as I can. Um, that, and so then that leads to me interrupting someone, uh, who is probably quite nicely explaining something. <laughs> the, the other the other thing is when it comes out of one it comes out of exuberance and excitement the other is just sheer impatience meaning i've heard this all before i've heard it 14 times before i do not want to hear it a 15th time and you've told me this many times before i'm going to cut you off right there i know this so let's just fast forward like on netflix i want to fast forward to the scene where i haven't seen it and we can pick up from there and so that is really challenging for me to to be able to moderate or how I manip manipulate a conversation 
to let someone know that, yes, we have covered this or I have heard this. So let's let's skip ahead in the interest of time or in the interest of getting to what we, we really need to discuss. Um, and so, so you know what, it, it, I interrupt and it's because of impatience. So, and some of that impatience is good and healthy. And some of that impatience is probably destructive. And it's very, I have to be very present and, pardon me, and aware in order to, to stop interrupting. And I'm, sometimes I'm much better at it than others. And I hate when I do it. And I hate when it's done to me. And, and so, but interrupting is also, it's part of a natural cadence of conversation. So it's never, it's quite a stilted conversation when it's just someone speaks, then stops and someone speaks, then stops. That's natural flow. So I guess I'm talking about something that's a bit more extreme on either end than, than that, that kind of natural conversation. Yeah, interrupting is, I think sometimes there is a business imperative, isn't there, to, to cut to the chase and get to, get to somewhere. Um, I, I also wonder why people are repeating something. Um, and, and very often it can be, they haven't quite let go of it. There's a resistance to accept what's really happening. And so for some, it's it, getting stuck in that loop of why, why something is the way it is. And therefore it, it still is unresolved in their mind. Um, and you're in a situation where you, you, you know, this is old ground that's been covered. Um, so unless there's something new to bring to it, can we get to the bit where we really, you know, need to make a decision or move it forward somehow? But also I think interrupting is when we're excited about what someone is saying. I think that's a that's a completely forgivable um, habit, right? Because <laughs> it's, um, it's part of riffing and building off people's ideas, right? It's part of that chemistry. It's part of that connection that we have with someone, um, you know, where we're enjoying the conversation. Um, and, and we've got something, you know, something relevant to share or it's triggered a, a something in us that we, that we want to share. So yeah, lots of reasons why we interrupt. Yeah. And have you ever, um, this is an aside and, uh, but I'm wondering how much you notice it or if it enrages you the way it enrages me is when you're talking to someone and they're recounting a conversation they've had with someone else. And you know what this person was going to talk about. You know, uh, maybe maybe it was something that was going to be confrontational. Or it was going to be um, where some points are across, getting getting made. But this person comes back to you and and recounts the conversation, but only tells you what they've said. <laughs> I know what your point of view is. I know your whole line of argument. What did they say? What? say and it was so rarely do people actually say well and here's how they reacted to this point this point this point they don't give you a proper accounting of a conversation it's their their whole argument all over again and I think I just that's not what I need to hear because I know how you feel <laughs> and it just and again it goes back to what you just said about people wanting to really reiterate their a, how brilliantly they, they manage that situation or B, how right they are about something or C, they weren't listening to what the other person had to say and right. they can't recount it. And I think more often it's the latter. It's the, they were so involved in what they were saying that they didn't take note of. It's an emotionally charged conversation. So for them, not not necessarily reciprocated in the same way by the by the person they're talking at or to, right? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My sense is that more often than not, it's it's more about what they had to say and, and how they expressed it and how clever maybe that was, um, and less about how it was being received, which tells you a lot in itself, right? Um, but I, I'm with you. I, I, you hear stories like that, um, and I'm like, well how did they respond and did they actually say that or is that your interpretation of you know how they were receiving it um are you making assumptions and um and and yeah I, I, you know that's a lesson in itself right it is and, and i do it too and uh, and i um i can't say that i'm i'm perfect in that but i do try to be aware of the fact that someone's heard it, heard my perspective all before 
And I guess it just goes back to I hate I hate going over the same ground twice. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, so what what do you think gets in the way of good conversation then, given what we talked about? Two things. One is is um, not not being a good listener and not not listening properly or engaging with what has just been said, and that then goes to the other point, which is a, a true lack of interest. So if there is, that's if people see a conversation as a, as a transaction where it's, okay, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? Look at it up in that way. And, and that's not bad. I mean, that's, that's fine. Uh, nobody has to, you know, not every conversation I'm in, does somebody have to care about me as a person? I don't, nor do I have to care about them as a person. And that, that's fine. A transaction is is appropriate in lots of ways. Um, and I'm okay with that. But it all goes back to making sure it, it is some kind of a, a real connection, even if it is transactional. And and that happens if you listen, you demonstrate that you've listened, and that you have an interest in progressing whatever it is further, or it may be that you've listened, there is nowhere to go from here. And you're open and honest about that. And that's fine, too. And so I find that that broadcaster broadcasting and receiving dynamic is really what's what's the most dangerous and the most time consuming and 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 frustrating. So I think really developing the ability to listen and have empathy and and then move on from there um, is really, really important. Um, my experience of you is that you are a great listener. You are very curious um, in, and you're focused and present in that conversation. So I've always had that experience with you. Of um, you know, thank you. Well, y- you do. I, I think that's um, because of your curiosity, you know, uh, about other people and um, what makes them tick and ideas and so on, being receptive to that. So listening for you is probably a really easy place to be in conversation? I prefer it, actually. I much prefer um, to learn about someone else than to talk about myself. And that doesn't lead to a good give and take because then again, it is all one sided, but it's the side that I want to hear about. So I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also have been accused of, of getting too personal. And by that, I mean, asking questions that um, certainly not personal as in, you know, really inappropriate, but more I'm interested in understanding what makes someone tick or uh, what got them to where they are. And and some people may feel uncomfortable answering those questions or feel that that I have, it's not really any of my business. And it isn't, it isn't. So there are times when I have inadvertently crossed a line, um, again, not in a, in a blatantly inappropriate way, but much more about... Um, maybe making some people feel like they're being, uh, they're in a police confessional room and uh, they're uh, being subjugated to a whole raft of questions they, they don't feel like answering. And it's completely unintentional and, and not not on purpose. But I know sometimes I can cross the line and I always feel really bad about that if the person who I'm with is saying, I, I don't know how they... Um, a lot of times it'll be my husband who says, okay, don't you think you've given this person enough of a, of a, <laughs> a an inquisition? You just should back off a little bit. And it doesn't even occur to me. And I think, oh yeah, no, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. Let's talk about something else. And, and yet there are other people who never notice it and have no trouble talking and, and answering those questions. So I have to, that's when I have to really, really engage my body language, reading body language, hearing how reticent people are to talk or how open they are to talk and sort of taking my cues that way. Mm. Well, it's a bit like body space, isn't it? If you're too much in my space, I might find that uncomfortable. Yeah. But on the flip side, if if your questions help people think more deeply and actually express themselves and they're willing to, then that's actually a gift, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, that's... Um... That would be a nice way to think of it. Um, it frustrates me when somebody tries to turn it around on me. <laughs> and, they, and they say, yeah. oh, what, about you? what about you? And I think, I'm not, not so interested in talking about myself. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, 
because I'm boring to me. I know everything. I, I, there's nothing. There's nothing particularly exciting or interesting in in my opinion because I live with it. Well, I think that's very gracious of you. We can talk about um, the, my my pets are the the one thing that I get very crazy and self indulgent about. Much like people talk about their kids enough to just gl- make my my audience glaze over. Uh, always. <laughs> Gabrielle, did I just make you uncomfortable by um, <laughs> no. asking you to talk about yourself in that way? No, I know you. So no. Um, but I, I truly think that when you when you are curious and the other person is open to um, to talking and exploring, it is a gift because it happens so not enough, right? That ability to be able to think more deeply, um, think two or three layers down about something. And by you being curious and asking those questions, I think, uh, you know, for the right person and the right dynamic, um, it is a gift um, because you're giving me the opportunity to A, express myself and, and something that maybe no one else is interested in. But secondly, I am able to take it to another level um, that maybe I hadn't previously. You never know. You never know what the, the conversation, where it's going to go or, or what, it's, what it's going to yield. And, uh, and, and oftentimes, if you don't have anything in common at first glance or um, at the outset, you find that you actually do have more in common than you think by digging just a little bit deeper or or learning something funny about someone. You talked about what was critical for um, getting people to understand your perspective. And you talk about taking the emotion down a notch. Can you explain that a little bit more? I tend to get very um, emotive and excited about things. And I also see the possibility in, in lots of really interesting things and that possi- and it, it based on nothing really. So, so there are lots of times when I'll have a conversation with um, an entrepreneur or a, um, a founder of a business, and they're they're just getting started, and they outline what they're going to do and and how they're going to do it, and it's all incredibly exciting. And I buy into it all, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, which isn't to say I'm a soft touch because I I am critical about lots of stuff because I think. There are lots of things where people just don't even think that next level through and, and think about the, the critical applications of things. But if you've got a good story and you're excited about it and and it stands to reason, I'm right there with you. I think it sounds great. And I, I, I really applaud people who, who do startup businesses. I think it's bloody hard. I've tried several times and it's just never, it doesn't come naturally. And it, it's, um, and so I get very excited and, and, really emotional about that kind of thing in in a way that's that's positive and then you walk away and you have to kind of let things sink in and then you think oh you know not really that that's not that's not going to work for this reason or this reason or that's not as exciting or as different or as whatever as you you initially thought I don't think it's a it's a bad thing necessarily because I mean it's not like I've invested lots of money and lost it on the basis of of no no sound reasoning but um I, I just noticed that I that I tend to do that. And that's, I guess, on a, on a positive way. I can also, in a negative way, when you get really emotional about something is you hear, maybe it is confrontational, maybe it is something that you fundamentally disagree with. And you, you think, hang on, no, 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 it's not like that. That's not the way. No, that's, that's an incorrect perception or that's not. And you want to stop somebody from even going down that, that road because they, in, in your mind, they're, they're saying the wrong thing or they have the wrong idea or this, that, the other. And it can escalate and, and it just shouldn't. And so, and that's where, again, where I would sort of try to interrupt and then, and then uh, try to correct and, and say, hang on, is that not right? And that, all of that sort of escalates something. And if you, if you take the time to listen entirely, then have a reasoned response and take emotion out of any of that kind of conversation. Emotion will always creep in at some point. There is no such thing as an emotionless conversation unless you're talking to a sociopath, in which case you better get the hell out of there pretty damn quick. But, but it, <laughs> it, it just can't, it doesn't have to, you don't have to wear your heart on your sleeve all the time. Sometimes it's refreshing. Sometimes it's it's nice because it's different. But there are lots of times when uh, a more measured approach is definitely the better approach. And I, and that's, that's what I still need to learn. Well, I'm with you there. I think that's a lesson 
and a growth area for many of us. <laughs> uh, we can. What's, um, what would be a key message um, that you want to leave people with about having better conversations? Well, I think just have more of them. I, I mean, I, I really, I wonder today versus five years ago, how many conversations people have in the course of a day versus um, some kind of a, um, an online exchange that they may think passes for our conversation, but that isn't. And so have more of them, get better at, at really actively listening. And again, it is hard. And, and then it's not, you know, the bar is pretty low, I think, uh, in terms of, of having a good conversation, have, having people feel like they're being listened to and valued. And that goes a long way. It really, I know it does when, from my behalf, when, when I think somebody has listened to me and values what I had to say, and again, may not agree, but I at least feel respected. And that's, uh, it's not always explicitly stated. It's much more implicit, but it, it really matters. And so I, I think people should go out of their way to have, have more meaningful conversations. They don't even have to be meaningful, but just, just engage in face to face and see where it takes you. Love it. It's been an incredible conversation um, just uh, listening to you and, and having this exchange. So thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for, for creating the, the series in the first place, because I don't think enough, I mean, this sounds funny, but I don't think enough people are talking about this and they should. And kudos to you for, for shining a spotlight on, on what we need to be doing to get back to our humanity of, of engaging with each other. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Better Conversations with me, Siham Cyrene. And if you did, leaving me a lovely review and rating on Apple Podcast will help me reach more listeners who want to have better conversations at work and in their private lives. You can check out show notes at betterconversations.co forward slash podcast. If you're a regular subscriber, brilliant, lovely to have you back. And if this is your first time, Hit subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. A screenshot and an Instagram story would be going above and beyond. And I would be very grateful. Please tag me at Siham Cyrene, all one word, S-E-H-A-A-M-C-Y-R-E-N-E. And of course, I'll tag you right back. So, what would you like to hear my future guests and I talk about? Or perhaps you would like to be my guest because you've got a strong point of view that you'd like to share or kick about with me on the podcast. Drop me a note, podcast at betterconversations.co. I'd love to hear from you. And if you are a leader who knows you could achieve so much more in your career and be way more influential by having better conversations and stronger relationships, then do consider enrolling for my 12-week online course, Leaders who coach. You'll find the curriculum, videos, and a whole load more at leaderswhocoach.today. Thanks for listening. I'm Siham Cyrene, and this has been a better conversation. <laughs>